Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, we've got tons to get to today. Got a little twofer for the people. Barrett Salee and Mizzou linebacker Blaze Aldridge coming up in a bit. We've got an entire week two slate to break down and then we're gonna close with parking and figuring out. But first, before we get to all of that, we got a Texas P-Dad. Yes, sir. It's been a minute. It's been, been a little bit since we've talked about our friends over at Texas Pete. Our presenting sponsor is back for this season. I tell you what, man, I have Texas Pete every single day. Do a little air fryer chicken. Douse it with Texas Pete. Just douse it nonstop. Sometimes I'll throw it on my morning eggs, always on my avocado toast. If I have any avocado toast without hot sauce, it's like, uh, you know, we need a little, little bit of heat to that. You know what I realized though? The next time I take a trip to Publix, I need to diversify because Texas Pete has buffalo wing sauce, they got green pepper sauce, they got barbecue sauces, and as Marler would say, they got Texas Pete dust. Texas Pete dust is the thing that I need to be able to try, especially now that I'm a grill guy, gotta try it with the marinade, all those different things. This is the perfect time of year to load up on Texas Pete. Not only because it's football season, but also because right now for our listeners, you can go to texaspeat.com right this instant, get recipes, t-shirts, hats, hot sauces by the box, like our favorite Australian lister, Tommy O'Rourke. Do all of those things. If you do that, you're gonna get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That's all one word. Sauce like you mean it. Good to have Texas Pete back in our lives. Never really left. It never leaves. It's always kind of there. Week two picks over unders. I will not stand for any slander against week two in the SEC. Seen a lot of people saying, oh, you know, it's a bad slate. Just kind of not, not any of those big time games over Georgia Clemson. You know what? Whatever. I don't care, we're gonna have full stadiums. And I'm gonna convince everybody that by the end of this, the week two slate might not be the world's greatest, but it is intriguing and it will have plenty to look forward to. Let's start with Pitt, who is a three and a half point favor against Tennessee. The over under I have at least one clip of the 2019 UCF Pitt game where Pitt ended UCF's 27 game regular season winning streak and then kind of celebrated like it won the Super Bowl. Will, do you remember watching that and watching Pitt just go berserk after beating a group of five school? Boy, do I. I um, Yeah, they ran a, a Philly special at the end of that game. And, and one they of my did? Best, yep. One of my best friends that goes to UCF is from Philly, and he was just, <laughs> it broke his brain. He was like, oh, no. That Yeah, Pitt is such a fun team, man. I am... This is one of my favorite games of the day, for sure, because that's their brand. Like, we've talked about it. They go in there and just, like, dog fights with these big-time schools. That's what Pat Narduzzi lives for. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder, though, if that's in the back of Josh Heupel's mind. And I don't know that Tennessee is in a position where it can flip into an extra gear yet, or if they can even tell if Heupel has a little bit of extra motivation for a specific matchup. So kind of take that for what it is. There's part of me that is extremely worried about Joe Milton against Pat Narduzzi's defense. Even though his defense lost five dudes to the NFL, five defensive players from Pitt in Jeez. the NFL, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, Jason Pinnock, Jalen Twyman, and then DeMar Hamlin, the safety. I think we see the tempo of Heupel's offense with the ground game really get going. Jabari Small and Tyon Evans 
are the, the guys to watch for in this game. Evans is one that I, I think I, I was sleeping on a little bit in the preseason that I, I need to, to be watching him closer because super shifty. We saw it in the opener. Some of the moves that he would make where he'd just go kind of off tackle and then he'd get to the second level and, and, and be able to kind of leave a safety in the dust like that or at least you know be able to get you know 20 yards or something like that. He did on that long touchdown run. He was the only power five running back that in the S well, the only power five running back not named Zach Charbonnet who, who graded as high as he did from pro football focus, Zach Charbonnet, of course. Um, pretty decent start to his season and continued that against UCLA or against LSU last week. Never heard of him. Oh, yeah, never heard of him. <laughs> Didn't see him have a single big play last week. Another thing to remember with Evans came from Hutchinson Community College. That's where Vol grades Alvin Kamara, Cordero Patterson, both of those guys went there as well. So just saying. It's interesting because Tennessee lost a lot in the ground game with you know Ty Chandler going to UNC, you had Eric Gray going to Oklahoma, and we, we came in with Heupel and all the talk is about the passing game, right? And, and I get it because that's what Tennessee hasn't had and when you have the tempo, that, that's what we want to talk about. But we forget that Heupel's teams at UCF, they ran a ton. Mm -hmm. They averaged 44 rushing attempts per game in those three years. I think that's how you beat Pitt. You don't put Joe Milton in those obvious passing situations. You might say, well, why would you want to run the ball against Pitt? Pitt was number three in FBS against the run last year. Only AM and Georgia had better run defenses than Pitt. I still say, though, that so much of that defense is new, and I don't think that Tennessee just covers. I think Tennessee actually wins outright. And I'm a little bit, you know, on the fence about that just because, like you mentioned, Pat Narduzzi kind of lives for these types of moments. He would love nothing more than to go into Neyland and have one of these like big time wins in an atmosphere like that. But kind of think that we see the Tennessee ground game take over and Vol fans are feeling good about Josh Heupel. Will, are we underselling the Tennessee ground game with Heupel? Man, I'm just staring at this game. Oh, there's so much is going on here. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... It's, this is honestly the more I think about it, and this is why I appreciate these giant Google Docs you put together, because every le level of this is fascinating, because it's like, yeah, they need to run the ball, but Pat Narduzzi's defense is awesome. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that that's the, that's the key, because yeah, I mean, you don't want to see, I mean, that was a good UCF offense that got upset against Pitt as well, and that was a team that could throw the heck out of the ball. So yeah, I yeah. mean, you, you want to make things easy for the quarterback. We talked about that, how this offense is very QB friendly. Um, at the same time, you know, you, you want to, I, I feel like this is going to be a good game, like you said, to open it up and, and finally kind of get that, okay, boom, offense is back. So I don't know, I, I, this will be a fun one. This should be, this could be back and forth as well. Yep. Pretty much a coin flip, it, it feels like. Number five, Texas A&M going to Denver to take on Colorado. Essentially a road game for the Aggies. A&M is a 16 and a half point favorite. The over-under I have for this one, three and a half mentions on the broadcast of A&M playing in altitude. Kind of a tricky matchup because of that. Mm -hmm. And I know that kind of gets overblown a little bit. It's like every single time a team plays in Denver, it's, oh, it's gotta be, you know, gotta have a conversation about the altitude. But I, I do think this is a good time to have depth, cramping, potential issue. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a, an early to mid-September game when you know that everybody that gets up there, once you experience kind of that mountain air, it's, it, it just kind of takes something out of you. It's a little bit different. And I think Colorado is a team that wants to run, run, and run some more with their, with their ground game. Run, Ralphie, run, of course. Mm -hmm. In case you were wondering, fun fact, Ralphie's six. It'll be run number two. 
You heard Mike McIntyre talk about almost getting killed by Ralphie on this podcast. I'm assuming that Ralphie is making the, the quick trip to Denver. I don't know that for certain, but if that's the case, look out. Colorado is not even allowed to run behind Ralphie yet. He's not quite tamed. Uh, Carl Dorl, uh, Colorado's coach, he said that they're, they're just not allowed to do that yet. He looks forward to the day in which they can run behind Ralphie, a composed Ralphie six. I'm just saying, you know, Colorado might need to get a little creative to beat A&M. Texas had to let that dumb steer Bevo loose on Uga just to beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago. So we've seen crazy things like this before. Maybe Colorado is the same thing to A&M. Heads up to Reveille. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Reveille should have head on a swivel here in this one. You just never discount the live mascots. There's got to be, like... Nothing more nerve-wracking than the first Ralphie run for the Are we sure he's trained? We don't really have any live game evidence for that. I looked at some of the images from that because I was curious <laughs> about that very thing. And their handlers look, um, they're intense. That is a job to do. Think about the responsibility of running with a live buffalo in front of tens of thousands of people. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. that. That would be the biggest thing I have going in my life is to keep a buffalo from harpooning people with his horse. Like, I, you know, we talk about with Oklahoma, if you're gonna ride a wagon, that's one thing, you gotta make that sharp turn. And it, historically speaking, I know they had the incident a couple years ago with the wagon falling over and whatnot, um, but you, your success rate's still very high. With Ralphie, I don't know. I don't know, that's a, that's a roll of the dice early in the season. So A&M's gotta be aware of that. I think that A&M does push Colorado around up front. I think big days ahead for the ground game as Haynes King still figures some things out. Jimbo said on the SEC teleconference that he didn't think that, that the interceptions were on Haynes King. He's been very um, vocal about defending him if you wanna go back to the spring game and how it's always somebody else's fault. Or receiver ran the wrong route or you know there's a tip pass the line scrimmage. And, it's like, okay, okay, he still made some reads in that game that were questionable. I think we can all look objectively and say that. And I'm high on Haynes King long-term, but I think he has some tough moments in this game again. And AM still can turn to that ground game. And that's the key. They still have the big playability with Caleb Chapman back, with Anaya Smith playing like he did in the opener. And they can still flip that switch defensively as well. I think Colorado, though, gets a backdoor cover in like a 31 to 17 type of game. It feels like a blowout, but Colorado is able to keep it within two scores. Interesting note, this is the earliest that A&M has been a top five team since 1995. Hmm. Go back 26 years. And that year, ironically enough, the Aggies were in the top five in September, and they went on the road to face number seven Colorado, and then they lost. Who was the star of that Colorado team? And by the way, uh, Billy Lucci, shout out to him of Texags, pointed that out um, immediately after I had tweeted that and thought that was very interesting. The star of that Colorado team back in 1995, a certain Ray Carruth. Google that one, kids. Ray Carruth, R-A-E, Carruth. Well, that might have been before your time. It will take a turn. I'll put it to you like that. Good football player, worse at something else that was really big in his life. Anyway, first. Not a lot of first round picks with the um, post draft um, turn that he that he took. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Number 15, Texas, six and a half point favorite against Arkansas. I'm pumped for this game. When any when anybody poo poos the week two slate, I say no. You are discounting Texas at Arkansas. The over under I have is two mentions of the Southwest Conference. Hmm. I kind of hate saying this, but I, I don't really have any memories of the Southwest Conference, not just because I didn't grow up in that, but by the time that it was done and it dissolved in 1996, that's 
basically when my college football brain started processing, oh, Peyton Manning, this cat is pretty good. Yeah. There are certain players that you follow in the 90s, a Ricky Williams or somebody like that, that, oh, you know, Charles Woodson, this Michigan cat, he's, he's excellent. And so all my memories are a little bit after that. I was six at the time, so don't hate me for not having a lot of Southwest Conference memories. That's kind of irrelevant for this game. What is relevant for this game, this is the biggest game for Arkansas in five years. Biggest game for them since they hosted Bama back in 2016. Because think about what this means. You get a chance to beat a nationally respected program, which eh, we have our fun with Texas, but Texas is. And with all due respect to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and a floundering Tennessee team last year, Texas is held in a different regard. Win this one and it sets the stage for the rest of the year. Not only would Arkansas get into the top 25, but it would send a loud message to Texas before joining the SEC. And we talk about how important that battleground is for Arkansas recruiting. And Sam Pittman, the recruiter, I, I think that, that that is massive. That That is one that he wants to be able to have in his back pocket to say, look, even when Texas had Steve Sarkeesian, they're supposed to be on the up and up. I had this program ready to go and I was already showing that I was better than Texas. You need everything from that defense if you're Arkansas. This is not going to be a game in which you can you can hope for 45 points from your offense. You need Grant Morgan to come out with his hair on fire. You need Jalen Catalan to have one of those those plays where he lines up in the box and he blows up Bijan Robinson on the opening series. Send a message early. You need Bumper Pool when he returns in the second half of this targeting from his targeting ejection. You need to be him to be like the Bass Brothers and D2 Mighty Ducks when when you know the guy gets tossed and he's throwing stuff in the locker room and he's going crazy mm -hmm. that that's what bumper pool has to embody in this game that's the type of effort it'll take to slow down a steve sarkeesian offense i'll be honest though week one gave me a little bit of pause <laughs> i came into the year pretty high on the hawks and i still have those concerns about the passing game we we gotta see it Traylon burks is hopefully going to be healthier for this one i know that they're going to try and do some different things with him he was mostly lined up in the slot but just kind of don't know if he's going to be at his best self i would hope for this game he will be and the play calling has to improve arkansas fans were not exactly happy with kendall bryles and some of the some of the game plan decisions that were made this is not the type of game that Arkansas can fall behind. Mm -hmm. You have to play with a lead. You need that crowd going nuts. Despite what we saw in week one, I think that happens. I think Texas loses a non-conference game for the eighth time in the last nine years. And then the one year that they didn't was 2020. So does it really count? Probably right. not. Sam Pittman fires up the jukebox. And if he does, we're going to lead Sunday with a big old Yes, sir. <laughs> was that better than when he dunked on me? That was. I feel like you've been practicing that one in the mirror, like Ian Book. <laughs> you know, practice makes mediocrity. I'm not gonna say practice makes perfect because that was far from perfect. But if you go to, I have, I have my my pin tweet was the time that Sam Pittman heard my my yes, sir, and it was. It was lacking. It was like that scene in The Lion King. Um, oh, where's when? He teaches uh, him how to roar. Teaches him how to roar. Thank yeah. you, Will. Thank you. And, and you know, I, I was I was a puppy when it came to yes, sir. I was I was a cub, whatever you want to call it. And I I just had to find my my roar. So you know, I got time before Sunday, and I think Arkansas wins this one. This would be so big for Sam Pittman, though. So so big. Are you wearing burnt orange right now? Well, um, on accident, yeah. This is just a very comfy shirt. All right, just make a shirt. Spy. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, this is, so you think Arkansas went straight up? 
I think they win straight up. I think they I think they cover. I think they win they win straight up and and this is a, a game that we look back on and say, even if Arkansas goes seven and five this year, which that was that was the projection I had, not all seven and five seasons are created equal. Yeah. And there are certain moments that you want to see in year two where you feel like your team has that upside. And this is, I think, a great time to catch tech it's a catch Texas when they are feeling good about themselves for holding off a really good Louisiana Lafayette squad in week one and it's not the same old Texas. This is a, a great time. Texas' first true road game of the Steve Sarkeesian era. Who knows how Hudson Card is gonna to respond to that. It's a really experienced defense. So I'm sticking with my initial pick despite the the, the yeah. concerns that I had in week one. Yeah, I mean, Stan Pittman's team, you know, they're gonna be physical. And this is a game that like a coach like that, you would love to have them on your side. Like Steve Sarkeesian's obviously a, a very good tactician and stuff like that. But in a matchup like this where Texas still has, you know, the recruits from the last era. They haven't really gotten the whole program together yet. You know, I, I yeah, I would want to be on Sam Pittman's sideline here because I think he's going to have those boys believing that they're going to, it's going to be their day. So yeah, I don't think that's crazy. Um, I like the line especially, and like you said, they're going to have to be smart. You know, they can't fall behind. They want to play their game plan and not let Sark, you know, have guys streaming up and down field. But yeah, I, I like that one. That's a fun one. If you're doing, if you are somebody who likes to look at the the live lines, and you like to be able to to bet in game, if Texas goes up early on that, I, I would I would put a lot on Texas to be able to cover. Maybe maybe they'll be they'll be factored in with the odds with the way that breaks down, and maybe that spread will change. But I I, I tend to think the first quarter of this game is so important. It is so important for both uh, how these teams want to play. I think putting Hudson Card or KJ Jefferson in some of these obvious throwing situations is really important for what these teams want to do. Mizzou and Kentucky, the lone SEC on SEC matchup this week. Kentucky is a five and a half point favorite in Lexington. The over-under, I have three banana references. We'll see what type of life this thing has. All I know is they're all going to be eating bananas with the peel if Will Levis keeps delivering like this. I saw this great stat from my guy, uh, Adam Luckett at KSR. Shout out KSR. Kentucky is 7-3 in the last 10 games against the spread at home. Mizzou, on the other hand, 2-8 in its last 10 games against the spread on the road. Eli Drinkwitz brought up the fact that this is the first real SEC road game for Mizzou since he's been there. And he kind of said, look, we're not good enough to go on the road and beat a team like Kentucky yet. He said that. He came out and was pretty honest about what he's seen from his team so far. And I think he wants to see more. And I agree with him. I think the key for this game is how Liam Cohen adjusts on offense. It's going to be awfully tempting to want to trust or to, to, to test rather this Mizzou secondary to take these shots downfield, especially after what they did in the opener. And they they take a lot of chances with that Mizzou secondary. That That's what they're built to kind of do with Steve Wilkes. And you you might feel that you're gonna have some of these mismatches on the outside with Wanda Robinson, Josh Ali, and those shots will be there. And I'm not saying that, that Kentucky is about to abandon the pass. They're still gonna try and stretch the field vertically. But I think your best method to trying to beat Mizzou is in the ground game. As you know, opposed to trying to do like empty protections with Blaze Aldridge, new friend of the show, mm -hmm. busting through the middle. I think 
you've, you've done a really good job of selling the passing game. The fact that you were able to air it out the way that you did is a great thing to have on film through one week. But I think if you're Kentucky, if you're Liam Cohen, you tweak that. And then you let Chris Rodriguez, Cavassier, Smoke, let those guys get 40 touches. And I think he makes that adjustment. I think he sees that with all eyes on Will Levis. We see that there's more versatility in this Kentucky offense. They can beat you in multiple ways. And that's the big, big difference. And I think that making that adjustment and understanding how important that is. If you're a Kentucky fan and maybe you know the SEC schedule kind of bogs you down, you at least can look back on a game like this and see that in the past, maybe this was a game that you would lose. And I know Kentucky and Mizzou have had a kind of a good little back and forth here, but maybe that's a, a game that you look back on and you appreciate just what Liam Cohen was able to do in his first year. Huge game for both teams in terms of trying to fight for that number two spot in the SEC East, which in my opinion, still would belong to Florida if I'm picking today, despite the week one slow start against FAU. But if Mizzou is going to get to an eight win season, you got to go on the road and win a game like this, which they've really struggled with. If you go back to anything post 2014, with the exception of Drew Locke going into the swamp and winning that game, it's been few and far between for the quality road wins for Mizzou. Also sort of lost in the shuffle. Kentucky's defense is going to be so good up front. That front seven really gets after it. And they have so many guys that they can rotate in and out right now. And I think that they put Connor Bazelak in some tough spots in his first true road game uh, of the season this year. Will, you got any any takes about our two two friends of the show, really, with Mark Stoops and Eli Drinkwitz? Yeah, this is like picking your favorite, uh, your favorite cousin, man. I love both of these teams, love both of the coaches. <laughs> I honestly love both of the quarterbacks. I mean, I can't root for the banana thing. In, in, in all good honesty, I, um, you know, love Will Levis. I, I'm still going to root for him, uh, but that, that is just tough to watch. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we can just appreciate him as a player without that. But uh, yeah, no, I think this is a, a very fun game. I think that both of these programs, like you said, it's a measuring stick. You know, I, like you said, Stoops has kind of had more time and he kind of has a higher standard. Whereas uh, Coach Drink, you know, had a great year last year, um, but I, I do want to go with Kentucky here. Um, yeah, I, ju I just think overall this is a very evenly matched game. Five and a half feels a little bit high, honestly, like just based on what we've seen from both teams. But I do think Kentucky, Kentucky pulls this one out. I think they're factoring in the offensive firepower that, that Kentucky can have. The ability to get some of those quick scores, the chunk plays that have not been there in the past. And mm -hmm. Kentucky spreads were uh, a lot a lot smaller, I, I think, in, in years past when if you're only scoring 21 points in a given game, you can't you can't be a, a touchdown favorite. Doesn't really, you know, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But I yeah. think they I think they win and cover in this one. It ends up being a, a nice showing, a versatile showing from the Kentucky offense. NC State, two and a half point favorite in Stark Vegas. Mississippi State, the underdog in this one, the over under, I have 12 Jaquavius Marks carries. Surprisingly, Marks had 12 carries in that game last week against Louisiana Tech. I say surprisingly because that matched his high from 2020 when he was the feature back in Mike Leach's offense. But when he did get those 12 carries last year, it was in a game that they were up big against Mizzou. Go figure that he matched that in a game that they were down 20 points in the fourth quarter. I've been saying this for a while. Mississippi State needs to run the football more. Mm -hmm. And Marks needs to be 
more involved in the ground game against these fronts. That is the best way for Mississippi State to try and, and, and combat some of these drop eight coverages and, and to create some of these bigger throwing windows. Leach said that Mississippi State had that historic comeback once players realized that nobody had a dental appointment or a study hall. <laughs> Don't know if that's the thing that I think about very often. Will, are I love you a, him so much. <laughs> uh, Le Leach, when he wins, actually, you know what? Leach, when he loses, is pretty blunt as well. He's as blunt <laughs> as he gets in those in those spots. Are you a twice a year dentist guy as an as an adult? Yeah, I try to be. I, I missed. I definitely missed one during the pandemic, but I try to be. And just just getting shamed for flossing, I feel like is something, or for not flossing, is something I'm just going to live with. I've decided to. I am. Here's a question. <laughs> And I'm a, now at my dentist here, I'm a, I'm a three time a year thing uh, with them, which I don't get how they can do that. But they say every four months, you got to do it. And I'm like, all right, that's not really that necessary. But um, uh, one of the things that, that they always say every single time you go in, no matter what, no matter if you're going once every four months or if you're going for the first time in four years, they always try and say, why, why are your gums bleeding so much? Because you're stabbing me, bro. You're, you're stabbing me. You should be worried if my gums are not bleeding. Why, why are you doing this to me? What, what, has anybody ever come in here and not had their gums bleeding? Because they're probably a robot if you did that. So you shouldn't be so surprised. Act like you've been there before. I'm glad that we can connect over that because that is a finesse. Uh, anyway, back, back to NC State. Man, I, I hate to say it and I hope I'm wrong, but I like NC State in this one. Uh, just given kind of the, the experience they've had, it looks like, yeah, they're... They've only missed one bowl game in the last, what is this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, so, yeah, they are going, I mean, they're like a sneaky good team, man. Um, NC State every year, I mean, they kind of have this identity. They always, like, bring it with their front seven. And I think that based on the week that Mississippi State had last week, it's hard to see them kind of adjusting that. I hope I'm wrong. And it's, like, so hard. It's almost harder after a week of play to determine what's going to happen than it was after the offseason because – you know, that week it could be so, you know, it could be nonsense. And we look back in a month and laugh at some of these games. Easily. It's an outlier, yeah. But, I mean, you look at how consistent NC State has been and how inconsistent Mississippi State has been under Leach. And like I said, he's, you know, he's my second favorite coach in the SEC. Uh, buying Kocho, obviously, just in terms of a quote. Uh, I love him. I love his D.C. But, I mean, they're just, I don't know. I, what, what, what do you think? I agree with everything you just said. I, I agree with all of that, and, and I agree. I, whenever somebody says that Clemson won't have any more top 25 opportunities the rest of the way, I say, you know what, actually, I think NC State could end up being one of those teams that cracks the top 25, ends up being a potentially better win, even though I do agree that Clemson's remaining schedule is bad. Right. NC State and Boston College are those two teams that I think are going to be potentially in the top 25 when those matchups come around. They've got this two-headed rushing attack this year. They're going to try and have some of these long drives, and they're going to try this to keep Mississippi State's offense out of rhythm and wear down that Mississippi State defense. They picked off three passes and shut out a very sorry USF team last week. <laughs> See, that's and the thing, though. It's like you could score 100 against USF, but it wouldn't impress me. It's like yeah, they're it wouldn't impress bad, me. man. Yeah, they're sorry. They're, they're definitely sorry. We got more <laughs> USF thoughts coming up later with Florida. but And look, I'm still worried about the offensive line. Mississippi State's starting right guard was arrested on Monday. So the depth, <laughs> even worse. Like, And I, I, I think about all those different things. And then I'm just kind of going to throw it out the window and I'm going to go against everything I just said and I'm going to be dumb and I'm going to pick Mississippi State to bounce back and pull, uh, put a full game together. That, that's what I think they're, they're, they're trying to do in this one. And, and of course, if they did figure out something in the fourth quarter, that was something that we talked about on Sunday's pod, then it should theoretically show up this week on both sides of the ball. So 
I'm just going to kind of blindly say that Mississippi State gets up early and NC State has to throw late. It takes them out of their game plan. Mm. And that's the best formula for that Mississippi State defense to follow with Zach Arnett and the 3-3-5 that you love so much, Will. Boom. You're big. Big three three five guy. Yep. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do a little bit of a dart throw against that. Close your eyes and just and and hope for the best. This is interesting. So UAB and Georgia, number two Georgia, by the way. Georgia's only a twenty four and a half point favorite. The over under I have is three J T Daniels touchdown passes. I think that we are looking, and I say we, like including myself with the odds makers, but there are a lot of people who looked at what happened with Clemson and say, well, if you don't score an offensive touchdown, how are you all of a sudden going to be a 40-point favorite against UAB? And I'm not trying to take anything away from UAB because Bill Clark, fine coach, he brought that program back from the dead, and it's amazing to me that he hasn't gotten a better job yet. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, look, I get it. UAB is 35-16. and since they brought football back in 2017. You know what they haven't done though is beat a power five team. And I think those odds have the Clemson hangover baked in. I think this ends up being a a Todd Munkin game to show that passing attack. After a week of hearing about, oh, you know, know, we weren't really able to get anything going downfield. They're going to have more time. They're going to be able to protect better. JT Daniels is going to be in better spots. And I think they really want to be able to put that on film ahead of the SEC slate that yes, we can stretch the field, even though I don't know that they're going to be much healthier yet at the pass catcher options. Sounds like they're still not going to have Dominique Blaylock back. I missed this entirely, and this is on me. I said Kyrus Jackson was pretty invisible in the passing game. That's because he didn't play a single snap at receiver. (laughs) Probably had something to do with that. Only played on punt return in that game. Sounds like he's still not quite ready to go. So they're trying, they've got all that stuff factored in. But I think that Rosemary Jack St. Arian Smith, those are the guys who are going to have really big days and James Cook. James Cook has the game that people thought he was going to have in the first game. He has that in the second game. Maybe a little bit of a slow start for Georgia. I could see that happening. But I think Georgia squashes any sort of hangover narrative and covers an interesting spread. 24 and a half. I I, I thought it would be a little bit more than that. Yeah, UAB is just a, a tough team, man. Like you said, you can't give enough credit to Bill Clark and what he's done. Bringing that football team back, I mean, he just kind of hung out and waited for it to come back. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I, I guess he just loves that team. I'm not, as someone who like went to high school around there, not super sure why. Like you said, he's definitely qualified to get like at least a Power Five job. But yeah, I, I, that you know, when when we say it all like that, the spread does make sense. You got the Clemson hangover. You got UAB team that doesn't really roll over. That's kind of what they what they're known for. But yeah, at the same time, I mean, Georgia should just absolutely romp. And like we talked about, you know, the whole oh their offense is like asleep against Clemson. This should be the game where everyone's like, ah, okay, <laughs> they're back. And it, it, it'll never not amaze me that Bill Clark has done what he's done at UAB because when they got rid of football, they had guys like Jordan Howard who yep. left that team. And Jordan Howard went to Indiana. And if you're losing guys like that, can you imagine having to re, like basically make over an entire roster and how long that takes? That's not, that's not the death penalty. Because, you know, there are other things associated with that, but it, I mean, it basically is, right? Like trying to be able to, to get enough guys to come and play for your program and to be competitive and then to be good. I, I, so I'll tip my cap to Bill Clark, but at the same time, I'll say that Georgia covers in this one. There is no spread for Mercer, Alabama. That's probably for the best. Right. At least there's no spread on, uh, over with our friends at FanDuel. The over-under I have for this game, um, 0.5 
Bryce Young fourth quarter passes. I'll take the under. <laughs> I'll definitely take the under on that. Uh, I I think there's there's a stat that was floating out there. I think it's from um, I think it's from ESPN that had this out there. I couldn't quite find it, but it's like Bama is 12 and 20. I want to say against the spread in week two games under Saban. So interesting. We talk about how dominant they are in the opener. Why would you ever bet against Saban in an opener? Mm -hmm. Week two, a little bit of a different story. The entire goal of this game should be for Alabama. It's cliche, but it's no major injuries. You lost Christopher Allen in the opener. You had the brief scare with Henry Toto. One thing to monitor with Bryce Young. I want to see how he protects himself in these spots. It's different when you're the starter and when you're the backup in garbage time, you can kind of just have fun, you make plays, you don't necessarily have to worry about that injury concern. And he puts himself in, in positions to get hit because of the way that he likes to kind of evade pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's just gonna be able to get rid of the ball you know, super quickly. And I think they're gonna draw up a lot of stuff to be able to try and keep him in the pocket, of course. And they shouldn't necessarily have a problem with protection in this one, but he does like to kind of be able to float. You, you put yourself on a more of an island when you do that. Bama doesn't need Bryce Young to be diving for first downs or hanging on the ball too long and trying to make a home run play. I go back to Trevor Lawrence's first career start. 2018, home game against Syracuse. Clemson is down 13 to seven, middle of the second quarter. It's third and seven for Clemson and Syracuse sends pressure. Lawrence is going to his left and he breaks one tackle, the rusher coming at his face, but he's trying to scramble along the sideline and he's not gonna get to the yard to gain. It's not gonna be close. And instead though, he takes this shot that he did not need to take at all. And he could have easily just gone out of bounds or thrown it away or whatever, and he was out the rest of the game. And they ended up needing a, a late rally to come back and win that game. Meanwhile, Kelly Bryant, friend of the show, he had just take, decided he was gonna take advantage of the new four game redshirt eligibility rule, and he wasn't there for Clemson because he was gonna transfer. I went back and I watched that clip, and even in a game that Clemson was trailing and Lawrence was just trying to make a play, the reaction nationally was, what are you doing? Like. <laughs> First first game start, you can't have any of that. And I know Bryce Young, this isn't his first start or anything like that, and he's not a true freshman, but I just hope that we do not have a moment like that. That is the last thing I would wanna see, especially after how exciting he was in week one. So if there's something to monitor in that one and what's gonna be a very lopsided game, I'd say that would be it. Connor, have you ever heard the term touch grass? No, but I'm very intrigued by this. So touch grass is like what you tell someone when they're getting a little bit out of touch with reality. It's like, hey man, you just gotta go touch some grass. Like, kind of get out there, get off okay. the computer. And that's why, you know, I love a game like this having no spread because exactly what you said. It's like, hey man, if you're not a Bama fan or if you're not, if it's not part of your tradition, it's like, no reason to bet this one. Go, go touch some grass, have, have, go watch another game, go do something. Exactly like what you said. We're watching the Bryce Young show. And like, yeah, this is, this is just gonna be a fun game. I want to see a little bit of Paul Tyson as well. Oh, yeah. Grandson of Bear Bryant. He's going to get some reps in this one, I, I would tend to think. But be mindful of that. If you're if you're watching this game with any sort of rooting interest on the Alabama side, which I realize people that are listening to this will, that would be something to, 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 to put in your, at least in your memory as you go through um, what's going to be a very lopsided game. Mm-hmm. All right. Number 13, Florida. 28 and a half point favorite against a very sorry USF squad. Oh, boy. The over-under I have. 100 Anthony Richardson yards from scrimmage. (laughs) Dude hit double that last week. 160 of which came in the ground game. Uh, Dan Mullen's gonna find work for him in the offense in the first half. And if this gets lopsided, he's gonna come in. 
But I think what Dan Mullen really wants to establish in this one is getting Emory Jones comfortable. Right. That's his guy. Like we, we talk about how exciting it was to watch Anthony Richardson do what he did, but lost in the shuffle of that is Dan Mullen spent three years investing time and energy into developing Emory Jones. And he wants him to be his star. He doesn't want a controversy. And everyone can still be excited about AR-15. There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. But Emory Jones looking like the guy you've been waiting to see is important. So I think we're going to see a good game plan from Mullen. I think you see a lot of high percentage throws, quick reads, not asking him to scan progressions like he's Kyle Trask or something like that. Let your playmakers get the ball on the outside. Let them get into the open field and let them take over that way. Let the game come to him a little bit more and try and squash any notion of a quarterback controversy heading into Alabama. If you're Emory Jones, you can't struggle here. Yep. You just can't. You can't do it against a USF team that is very bottom of the barrel in FBS. And that Anthony Richard excitement, it's not going away. Even if he doesn't really do much in this game, if Emory Jones comes out and lays an egg again, they're still going to go back to what we saw in, in, in the opener and say, maybe Dan Mullen does need to make a change. That's how quickly these things, these things can develop. And there's, there's, this isn't you know, 1995 anymore where you know, you're going to give a kid you know, four or five starts, kind of see what you have, and, and then you'll make that decision. Nuh-uh. Dan Mullen is, is, is going to get his guy back there, and I think he wants that to be Emory. So I, I think he bounces back, though, in this game. Um, you have, a lot, of, I, you have a, a lot more Mullen takes than I do about being like more down on him as a big-picture coach overall in some of these big-time big time games. But as an offensive mind, I think even somebody like like yourself, who isn't necessarily on the optimistic side of Mullen, I, I think you at least believe that that he's capable of adjusting his game plan and making a quarterback work in atypical and like you know when there's pressure on him, right? Yeah, yeah, and we talked about that kind of leading up to the season as far as like what type of offense they're going to run. And again, it's hard to fix stuff out of week one, but week one it looked a little bit closer to the Mississippi State Nick Fitzgerald type of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that he's more at home when he has a mobile quarterback. That's why the that's why the Trask stuff was so impressive to me. Um, I'll say this too, I, I'm 100% with you as far as the AR-15 stuff. I, I love him. I think he's a super cool player. I personally am not super high on Emory Jones. I'll say this though, they need to make sure not play AR-15 too much in this game because he is gonna look like a superhuman against <laughs> He is gonna look like Michael Vick out there. <laughs> That's the lot, like they need to get this dude like five touches, be like, all right, go ask your knees, son, you're done. No matter how Emory <laughs> plays, because this is exactly the kind of team that could create that based on their two play styles. It's not like Emory is like a non-dynamic athlete, but considering that, you know, Richardson's such a fan favorite heading into the Alabama game. I, if I was a ball, I'd be like, hey, there's nothing you can do to lose this job. Just go out there and like have fun, do whatever, because yeah, I mean, if you look at how he did week one, and you look he at how- He had seven rushes though. <laughs> he had seven rushes for 160 yards. If the dude's gonna average 22 yards a carry, what do you do? No, exactly, yeah, it's like, exactly. It's like, yeah, give him, you know, five to seven, give him, line him up for a couple passes, and, 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 but my thing is like, the last thing you wanna do is shake Emory Jones, um, 
uh, what's it his called? confidence. His confidence. That's exactly what I was looking for. Heading into the Bama game, and especially knowing how Twitter is and how things are today, it's like you want to just send a message if you're Dan Mullen, like, hey, this guy's fun. We could play him like you know, 06 Tebow, or like you know, this like gadget guy. But the last <laughs> thing you want is like, okay, like this guy gets out there and looks like incredible, and then because because honestly. A young quarterback like that that is more of an athlete than a passer in terms of Richardson is exactly what Alabama wants. No matter how athletic he is, we've seen Alabama sure. snuff that guy out at all levels. So, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, USF is like, it's a blessing and a curse because they are so sorry. Florida's defense is going to have another monster game oh, yeah. in this one. Zachary Carter going back to Tampa. I think he might finish the week with four sacks. Co-SEC defensive lineman of the week after he had three sacks in the opener. He only had five sacks last year, and I thought he was going to lead the league in sacks. Grantham's guys always seem to be at the top of that. This year, he might be well on his way. I think Florida covers in this one. Yeah. Can't pick USF to cover. Austin P against number 20 Ole Miss. No spread on this one. The over-under I have is nine and a half Austin P points, which might not sound like a lot because it's not. And that is because the Ole Miss defense is a force all of a sudden. <laughs> of all the units in the SEC, I would say that on offense, the most improved looked like Kentucky. And then on defense, it was Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Chance Campbell, the Maryland transfer, looked like an all-ICC type of guy and was a difference maker from the jump. Ole Miss was flying all over the place on Monday. That, that game was over in a hurry against yeah. Louisville. And they, they have so much more depth as well, and they can rotate guys in and out where you're seeing all over the field making big hits. They're forcing mistakes. They're blowing up plays in the backfield. Just stuff that you did not see. I, I feel like they, did, they weren't missing open field tackles either. No, none of these big chunk plays. They pitched the first half shutout, and, and they totally put the game away against uh, a good quarterback in Malik Cunningham, who was very one-dimensional in that game. They, the final score is going to show that that was not quite as good of a performance as you know what everybody watched saw but those points came in garbage time it was really encouraging and i said coming into 2021 can the old miss defense just flirt with mediocrity just flirt monday they did a whole lot more than flirt with mediocrity i don't know they, they like went off to vegas and got hitched with greatness or something <laughs> love that gotta get that on a shirt yeah i i i I watched that team on Monday night, and I know Louisville is, is not exactly going to be a top 10, top 15 team, but I, I watched that, and I'm thinking to myself, am I too low on Ole Miss saying eight and four? I, I don't know. That top two spot, number two spot in the SEC West, it's very much up for grabs, and why not Ole Miss? Because the offense looks like it could be, at the very least, just as good as last year, if not better, because Matt Corral looks better. And if he's avoiding those big grenade type games where everything blows up and he throws five interceptions, six interceptions, which the way that he dissected drop eight coverage on Monday night was certainly encouraging in that department. And if Dontario Drummond is gonna do his best Elijah Moore imitation and just catch everything, he was PFF's highest graded opening week receiver in any game since 2014. So pretty wow. good, pretty decent. I am, however, in this game, a bit worried about the short week. Not for the final, the final result of this game, but think about this. Monday night into a Saturday, which is very, very quick turnaround, even more, even quicker than what the NFL does with you know a Monday into a Sunday with the short week there because you're playing on Saturday, obviously, instead. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is gonna be competitive, but 
I do worry about some of the injuries. And could you get banged up and take away some of that mojo that you had on defense in the opener? That, that's the last thing you would want to see is one of these key contributors out, you know, Lakia Henry or somebody like that, getting banged up with a quick turnaround. Probably going to have to keep the snap count to a minimum in this one. A lot of season left, and you would hate to see something careless like that happen in the opener. Um, I, I feel like I'm saying that a lot with these week two games about just keeping guys healthy. It, you could say that for, for a lot of these teams, but unique given the fact that Ole Miss played on Monday night. So I'm sure that'll be closely monitored. I'm assuming we're going to get Lane Kiffin back as well for this one. Mm -hmm. Didn't need him in the opener. That was quite the opening statement. Well, I said that Ole Miss was my favorite team to watch in 2020. It's early, it's real early. But if they're gonna defend like that as well, I don't know, man, they, they looked just as fun as they were last year. Oh, Probably that, more fun if you if they can actually make plays like that. That game was such chaos, man. It was like, you know, number one, like you said, Layton wasn't there, so it was a Josh Levy game. Both big Josh Levy guys. They came down the field and just exploded. It was like, oh, they're going to win this game by 100. And then it was kind of like this defensive battle out of nowhere. And like, what, three, four, was it four players got ejected? Four players were ejected for targeting in the first Jeez, half. Jeez, man. It was, I mean, it was like every, like, and, and the best part was the, um, the crew was like, yeah, well, this is that team you don't want to get a drink for. And they just kept being like, like, cause they were so fast. And I just remember there were a couple times like, Hey, can we see that replay? And the crew was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, too fast. You, I don't know why you're asking me for this replay. They're already back on the field running a play. Like, that, I don't know. That was some of the most fun I've had watching football so far this season. That was, that was awesome. And at the end of the game, when it's 43 to, it was like 43 to 24, whatever it was. And they're still running their offense. And they're, they're still trying to put up points. And Herbie made this great observation on the broadcast about, <laughs> he's like, well, you know, if they score a touchdown here, that'd be 50 in the opener. And then they cut to a shot of Levy in the booth and Levy like starts cracking up. And probably because he can hear Herbie saying that and knowing if you're Jeff Levy and you're gonna be one of these coveted offensive minds mm -hmm. and you could say look in that game without lane we put up 50 yep against louisville that would have been a nice thing to be able to say they didn't ultimately get there but i think that was <laughs> i think that was on his mind i absolutely do watching that that was a fun little moment but Ole miss should be able to roll this week alabama state against number 25 auburn cracking the ap top 25 for the first time of the brian harson era the over under that i have eight tank bigsby carries I got a take for you. I think Auburn should sit Tank Bixby in this one. Hmm. Wait a minute, isn't that soft? Why would you give a guy a week off when it's only week two, whatever? I don't care if it's soft. Let me be clear by saying, I don't think this is gonna happen at all. This is 100% me. There's no like inside information about any, anything like this. Brian Harson, in my guess, doesn't think like this. He'll probably spew some rhetoric about Alabama State being a competitive team, even though as far as I can tell, going through their media guide, which I did this week, they've never beaten an FBS opponent, much less a power five opponent who just cracked the AP top 25. Brian Harson isn't wired this way. The guy spits out coaching cliches like sunflower seeds. Gotta take the stairs, son. I mean, goodness gracious, some of this. <laughs> it's like, all right, we, we get it, we get it. But think about what awaits Auburn after this game. And that's the bigger thing that I wanna get to. After this game, you have a four week stretch at Penn State, that defense is nasty. You're home against Georgia State. Shout out to Sean Elliott, friend of the show. You're at LSU, where Auburn hasn't won since the Clinton administration. 
and then you're home against Georgia, who, by the way, just allowed two rushing yards to Clemson and had the number one rushing defense in America last year. Just a hunch, gonna throw this out there, maybe Auburn fans will disagree. I think Auburn needs Tank Bigsby to be at his best self just to have a chance to win two of those games. So why in the world would you sign up Tank Bigsby to get in 10 car accidents? Because that's what you're trying to do when you give when you give a running back carries. And some people are gonna hear that and say, well, you know, he can go out of bounds or whatever. It's against Alabama State. His name right? is Tank. He's not going I get it. He, he takes on contact. And so that's that's the thing that I'm, I would be mindful of. You should be able to beat Alabama State with Sean Shivers and Jarquez Hunter moonwalking to get to the sticks. There is only downside, in my opinion, to playing Tank. And you could say, then why would you ever practice? Why would you give him any reps? Fair point. Bo Jackson hated practice, admitted he didn't try in practice. He's like, what am I killing myself out here for if I'm not gonna be able to have anything translate to the games? I'm gonna be fine in the games. Well, to be fair, Bo just kind of walked out of the woods and started kicking ass. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> he was a little bit different than everybody. <laughs> Bo's just got his, his, his bow and arrow and he, he just, whatever, he's gonna be able to do his hunting and he's gonna, just gonna be able to show up on Saturday and he's gonna be just fine. Mm -hmm. Tank takes on so much contact though. And even against a team like Alabama State, you could have a Mo Ibrahim situation. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Minnesota running back who is expected to be one of the best in all of college football, he suffered in the season opener what appeared to be a non-contact Achilles tear. And you can see it if you when, you, when they slowed down the video, he's, he's gonna be out for the year. And that at least though for Minnesota was in a game against Ohio State where you're competitive and you have a chance to win in the second half. Can you imagine if something like that happened in Tank against Alabama State? I, that'd be a terrible look for Brian Harson. You'd say, oh, well, hindsight says you shouldn't have played. Why, why can't you look ahead and, and be able to see what, what awaits? And this is a, a different story if we're talking about uh, a guy at, a, at the wide receiver position or something like that. But at running back, I think it's just different. So I would, I would bench him or dress him and keep him on the sidelines for this one. Let him go through warmups or whatever. Just trust that your other running backs are going to be just fine to be able to take care of business in this one. So that's a take for you. I think Auburn um, wins big, by the way. No, we didn't really get to that. Uh, not a lot of confidence in Alabama State. South Carolina, two and a half point favorite against East Carolina. The over-under I have, 0.5 Zeb Nolan snaps. It sounds like there's a decent chance that Luke Doty is back, but not a certainty. I thought it was interesting that he was available to the media. Shane Beamer might be trying to play a little, you know, some mind games, a little gamesmanship here. Nothing wrong with that. Zeb Nolan also available to the media. I, I think Beamer has handled this really well. On Saturday night, instead of getting caught in the the Nolan hoopla or, or saying that Doty would definitively come back, he, he's like, no, why would I reveal a starter? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And he's right. Make them prep for Doty, make them prep for Nolan. Even Dak Joyner, who played three snaps at quarterback on Saturday, my guess is that Doty starts because this isn't Eastern Illinois all over again. It's a coin flip type of game. And that spread, if you've been watching that, I say that spread loosely because by the time you're maybe putting your bets in on Saturday morning, it's probably gonna be way different. I saw at one point East Carolina was favored by four. Tons of movement there. It's been all over the place. Maybe that has something to do with quarterback situation. I don't know. I'll say this, I sort of hope that that was it for Zeb Nolan because it was a fun week one story where we could talk, talk about the, the the GA going into that situation. And, and it was cool to see him convert and get that moment in front of the home crowd. It, 
I, I thought he did a lot of things well. I went back and I watched every pass that he attempted in that, and you see why he got the starting nod. The guy is limited, he's far from perfect, but like Beamer said, he understood protections and he understood when he had to get rid of the ball and how to avoid those major mistakes. Some guys have that clock in their head, some guys don't. I thought he had that, but I would always prefer if the story would end there. And it's a bit like our 2021 version of what Stetson Bennett the fourth was early in last season. What Different he circumstances. <laughs> what he could have been. What he yeah. should have been was he just fades off into the sunset like a cowboy. Right. Never hear from him again. JT Daniels cleared to play. All right, Stetson Bennett the fourth. Thanks. That was fun. Right. Adios. You've earned your place in Georgia lore. We're good. Uh, I think it's interesting if Doty is going to still be limited, though, with the ankle. The, the good news is that it looks like Kevin Harris is going to play. The star running back should be back on the field for the Gamecocks on Saturday, along with Saquandre White, along with Marshawn Lloyd. Those are three capable backs. They're going to run the ball a lot in this game. There's no real way around it. I, I think they will lean heavily on that side. And I think that South Carolina wins this one, and I think they cover, unless that spread gets to something ridiculous, which I don't think it will, but never say never with all the movement we've seen from that line. If it was at like seven and a half, I'd be a little bit like, ah, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go for that. But I think South Carolina beats an East Carolina team who has six consecutive losing seasons. And I, I don't think that the Pirates are able to get what would be a monumental home win because I, I think South Carolina should win that battle in the trenches and the Beamer buzz will grow heading into the first part of SEC play. Yeah, real quick, I don't get that line at all. I like I was like, did I miss something from ECU? No, they're they're terrible. They haven't they've had one winning season in the AAC. They got to the AAC in 2014. They literally have not been good for a while. Uh, and they lost in week one to App State. So like I don't App State will be fine. But yeah, yeah, but like they got, I mean, almost kind of blown up by App State. So like South Carolina should really push them around. Like I really feel like this should be close. I mean, you know, obviously South Carolina is dealing with a lot of things, but as just kind of an SEC team, 2.5 seems like free money. I don't know. I don't want to poo-poo anybody that says week one was a great sign for the Shane Beamer era. Trust me. No, it for sure. Been yeah. Way worse. But I think what the odds makers are still trying to figure out is how how capable is this team against FBS foes when you rank 125 out of 127 in percentage of returning production coming off of a two-win season. Yeah, and there's still it's stuff to figure out with the quarterback situation. And who knows? We know that going on the road, that's going to be a little bit of a different type of atmosphere. First time you're experiencing that atmosphere. Should be should be actually a low key like fun game to watch. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think that's kind of why this has been all over the place. So, uh, who knows? Um, but a, a game that Shane Beamer needs to win if you're going to get to a bowl game this year, that's one that you got to be oh, able yeah. to have. All right. Well, let's get to a game. I know you got a lot of takes on McNeese against LSU. The uh, no spread on this one, by the way. The over under that I have seven Cody Odron at Odron pictures. We're gonna get the little montage side by side. This is the ultimate no excuses game for the LSU defense. Mm. Not just because it's an FCS team, but because you have the rare instance of a power five head coach going against his son, who is the opposing quarterback. That is what we're talking about for this one. It's one thing to get fooled by the Chip Kelly stuff. We talked about that. Some of these plays, if Chip Kelly's just sitting in the bathroom before the game, drawing up a play on toilet paper or something, <laughs> all right, whatever, your defense on its heels, understandable. It's another to get fooled by your own son. 
I don't think that'll happen. I, the timing of this game couldn't have been better, I think, for LSU, and something that they didn't really benefit from last year that they needed, although Vandy in week two, kind of similar. You get the bad taste of UCLA out of your mouth, at least I would hope, and for Ed Ogeron, it's a, it should be a fun storyline week in time to forget about all the hot seat stuff, because your team should roll. If LSU cannot run the ball, look out. <laughs> I don't care that they're without two starting offensive linemen. And I don't know about John Emery, who missed UCLA with academic issues. This is still a no excuse game. Will, what's the biggest thing that, that you're thinking about going into this one? Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. Run the ball. I, I literally, it's the opposite of the take Bigby, Bigsby thing. It's like, I want like 30 carries, like as many carries as we can possibly get. I want, and like, I will joke about this till they get better. Losing offensive linemen does not matter when your offensive line stinks. So, <laughs> so point being, it's like, hey, let's get some new guys out there. They can't be worse. So yeah, I, th I think that like this is gonna be a fun game. Like you said, Coach O and his son just ultimate square jaw tandem. Both have very square jaws. Great so point. It's great gonna point. it's gonna be a really great little growing up photos. I'm gonna be very excited. Uh, hopefully on Saturday, and hopefully I'll just I'll be coming in here with sunshines and rainbows on Sunday. It's gonna be a great weekend. I think it will be too. And I can't imagine that LSU after the week that it has had is gonna show up flat for that one. Uh, that would be the ultimate bad sign moving forward if that happens. All right, game of the week. I know everybody's got this one set on their DVRs. They can't wait for it. Vandy and Colorado State. <sighs> Colorado State's six and a half point favorite. The over under I have is 20,000 paid attendance at this game. Paid attendance. Pay is very different than the actual <laughs> attendance. Let us not forget that. This game's in Fort Collins. I can't imagine being in a state as awesome as Colorado. Colorado's great. And I was there a couple months ago. It's, it's fantastic. If you're that close to Denver and you say to yourself, you know what would be really fun tonight? Let's go watch some Vandy Colorado State. I love college football with all my heart, but I can't imagine subjecting myself to that. Both of these teams got smoked by FCS teams last week. Colorado State is coming off of losing to South Dakota State by three scores, and they are a touchdown favorite against a Power 5 team. An SEC That's team. <laughs> an SEC team. team. Not a Power 5 team, an SEC team. That tells you everything you need to know about Vandy. So how can I say that Vandy's even gonna cover that? Uh, and I can, maybe Joey Lynch, Vandy's passing game coordinator has the secret sauce for Colorado State. He was the Rams OC last year. Vandy actually did this weird thing we found out afterwards. This was via, I think it was Coaching Scoop who had this. And Vandy moved Lynch into more of the OC role right before the game against East Tennessee State instead of David Rye. It didn't work, in case you missed it. Wasn't the best result. I don't know if that's gonna have an impact on this one at all. This game has, 11 this this game is kicking off at 10 o'clock eastern time on cbs sports network if you are watching this game without financial stake that is gambling or your job that's on you the loan may be other exception to that if you have a kid on the team <laughs> I, even if it's your nephew you think about this one and that's when you, you go what touch some grass that's when you go touch some grass. 10 o'clock at night, a little bit late to touch some grass, depending on where you live, but you know, <laughs> just, uh, just, just go out and do something else. There's gonna be other stuff on it at 10 o'clock. Vandy fans, I, I hope for the best. And if this game turn, if Vandy all of a sudden starts scoring points in this game, 
you got me. I'm, I'm flipping this one on. We're catching some Ken Seals. I, I think that we're going to see a little bit more from this offense. I would hope in this one. Steve Adazio's team is not good. <sighs> and see less. Maybe see less. Steve Adazio's team is not good. They're not good. But then again, neither is Clark Lee. So, yeah, picking Colorado State to cover. And um, bless anyone who is watching this. Lock of the week. I went one and one last week. Should have just stopped with Iowa. I'm an idiot. That was money in the bank from the jump. <laughs> we're going to stick with one this week, and we're going back to old reliable. Liberty's only a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Troy this week. I'm not sure what I'm missing here. That kind of terrifies me. This is not 2017 Troy, so don't worry about that, Will. I constantly worry about 2017. I know. I know. You, you, <laughs> anytime you talk about Troy in the future, even though it's a different coaching regime, even though it's not Neil Brown anymore, you're still thinking to yourself, ah, oh, you know, Troy beat LSU that one time. Me and the ancient Greeks, similar opinions of Troy. Exactly. Troy went five and six last year. They played an FCS team in the opener. Cool. They have yet to have a winning Sun Belt record with Chip Lindsey as their head coach. And oh, by the way, in case you haven't heard, Malik Willis still doing things, still spinning it. Relatively quiet debut for Malik, but he did make a ridiculous throw down the left sideline where he just dropped it in a bucket. I mean, so fun to watch. Guy's a monster. And as I've said, it's not just Malik Willis. Liberty had 90% of last year's production back on this year's team. They had a top 25 offense and defense last year, and they were actually one of the independent teams that played against Power 5 competition. They went 2-1 and one against the ACC. They beat our guy Jamie Chadwell, his Coastal Carolina team, in the bowl game in Orlando here. Liberty's legit. Betting on Malik Willis for my lock of the week. If I can't rely on Malik, I can't rely on anyone. Well... Am I too high on Malik Willis? Don't say no. I, no, I listen. Watch your. Or no, say no. Say no. That's what I. That's what I. Meant. Yeah, I mean, no. You're 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 definitely good. Like I said, watching Troy lose is always great for me. So very very pro Liberty. Like I said, Brittany's sisters over at Liberty. They their game day experience seems very fun. So couldn't be rude for them. You're gonna come back on Sunday, and <laughs> Troy's gonna cover the spread in this game, and you're gonna say, "See, I told you, man. You just can never sleep on Troy. This is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens. They have this horse. They pull it out of nowhere. It's crazy. They just, they just always find a way." All right, let's go to my interviews. First, I got a chance to talk with Blaze Aldridge, the breakout star linebacker from Mizzou. Got into all things Mizzou, his name, his hair, the whole deal. And then our buddy Barrett Salee of CBS Sports went through some SEC storylines with us. He was at the Alabama-Miami game last weekend, so we got some Bryce Young takes from him as well that we went through. So first Blaze, then Barrett. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the man they call Blaze, Mizzou linebacker, Blaze Aldridge. A few days removed from an SEC debut with a casual, you know, six tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. Blaze, I can't have you on here and not get the origin story of your name. Tell me how your parents settled on pretty much the most football guy name ever. Yeah, uh, you know, I definitely have to thank them because I feel like a big part of my success has just been, you know, rising to the pressure that the name brings. But uh, it's not quite as exciting of an origin story. I think maybe I should make up a better one. But my mom's uh, mother, her maiden name is Braze, and they just decided to change a letter and, and alter it to Blaze because they liked how that sound. I like that. I think it also sets up for a very obvious opportunity for you. Blaze Pizza, do you have the NIL deal uh, in the works yet? <laughs> No, uh, I do not. You know, I haven't uh, reached out about a lot of NIL deals, been trying to focus on ball and establishing myself in the SEC, but 
I have been to Blaze Pizza. I'm a fan, uh, and I know they're associated with LeBron, my favorite basketball player, so I think it would be a good fit. <laughs> love it. I love it. So the interesting thing is you might have had a, a peak football name, but you weren't exactly blessed with the frame of like a typical SEC linebacker. For those who don't know, you started off at JUCO, Pierce College in Los Angeles, and then you tore it up for a few years at Rice before transferring to Mizzou this past offseason. But take me back to your days down here in my neck of the woods in Orlando. Did I read that you were 170 pounds in high school? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and my weight fluctuated a lot in high school. Uh, I was a little lighter because I, I played basketball too, uh, and, and that always resulted in, in some weight loss. But I did end up graduating high school around 185, you know, and. When I look back on that, it makes some sense on why SEC schools weren't recruiting me at the time. Yeah, but I, so th that's still a question worth asking is you're a stud high school player in a football crazed state. Why, why didn't you get the D1 offers coming out? Was, was it just the size thing? Were you a late bloomer? Like, what exactly do you think was the biggest reason? Um, you know, I can't tell you. I think that recruiting is uh, a complicated process that I certainly don't understand well. Um, I know that there's a lot of guys that go under the radar. You know, if you just look at guys in the NFL like Russell Wilson, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield had to walk on and he was a Heisman winner. So, you know, there, there's great players that go under the radar every year. I can't tell you for sure what happened, um, but... I do think maybe the size played a role in it, and that's why I've been uh, able to steadily rise up the ranks from JUCO to Group of Five to Power Five as I've added some weight over the years. I know you credited the Mizzou Strength and Conditioning Program for allowing you to be able to, to put on that weight. You're up around 220, but still probably considered a smaller inside linebacker by SEC standards. Did you go on some like 10,000 calorie diet to, to add weight at some point during your college career? You know, I, I got to let you in on a secret here. The, uh, the roster's wrong. I'm a, I'm a solid 230. But uh, I've been trying to work with some people to get it changed. I don't know if they're doing it to try to get the opponents to underestimate me. But uh, I'm, I do work a lot uh, really closely with our nutritionist, Liz, here. Uh, she's been a, a great factor in helping me, you know, gain and maintain the right type of weight. And then obviously in a, an elite strength staff is what helps me translate that into speed and power. Um, but yeah, the, the roster uh, isn't the best indication. I'd like to think that my biceps look about 230 on the TV screen. <laughs> but uh, I, I definitely have just been, you know, slowly and steadily adding that over the years. I, I think the age just kind of helps the weight pack on. We'll, we'll shout it from the mountaintops. Every time we refer to you in the future, we'll say 230-pound Blaze Aldridge, who absolutely works <laughs> the part. We can do that for you. You've gotten, you've gotten a lot of questions about your hair. Uh, Coach Drink said after Saturday's game that if you're going to have hair like that, you'd better be a player. What do you call your hairstyle, and how did it start? Um, I don't know. I've never really put uh, a strict name on it. I enjoy doing, you know, braids in a lot of different uh, fashions. You know, I've uh, twisted it and, and things of that nature. But I think the biggest thing that just inspired it is, you know, I, I enjoy just kind of being me and 
doing new things and having fun, you know, while I'm young and while I can. So uh, initially, my parents never let me grow my hair out when I was younger. So when they finally gave me the green light you know, around my senior year of high school, I, I just went crazy with it. So when you were younger, were you just rocking the typical, like, you know, like standard haircut, you know, maybe shorter on the sides, a little bit something on top. And then you get to high school and you just decide to go in a complete 180. Like if we see Blaze Aldridge pictures of you as a kid, they're, they're looking drastically different than now, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. I was a strict number two military style buzz cut for the majority of my life. I, hey, I'm I'm right there with you. I did that through college, so I, I don't see I don't see anything wrong with that. It's easy. It's low maintenance, um, but I, I know that that's that's kind of become a little bit part of the, the persona that you've developed at Mizzou, and a lot pe a lot of people who maybe were casual fans saw what you did on Saturday, and they're like, oh, that guy with the the, the crazy hair who's coming in here and, and you know blitzing and, and doing all these different things. Take me back to the Saturday against Central Michigan. I, I know you didn't have the first half that you were hoping for, but you took over in the second half. When you know that you've got a blitz called and you realize that you're totally unaccounted for as you break through the line of scrimmage and it's just you barreling down on a quarterback, what goes through your mind? Yeah, I mean, in that exact situation right there, uh, you get really excited. You know, anytime you come untouched on a play, uh, it's kind of like a little leap of joy in your heart because you realize you're about to make a big play and you know, when it's a quarterback, especially, you just want to go full speed and, and run through him and hopefully inflict some pain on him. Uh, you know, that quarterback was doing a great job, I think, getting down because we had a few guys that were trying to put big hits on him and he was ducking a lot of them. But uh, luckily, he, he wasn't able to avoid all of them and we were able to get in there and I think affect the throwing game a little bit. Is there an art to that? Because it's different, obviously, if you're coming off the edge, you're going for the arm. If, if you're coming right at his face and you're you're just deciding, I cannot miss an opportunity like this, what, what's the biggest key to being able to make sure that you don't whiff on that? Because if you do, that's showing up in the film room and you're not necessarily going to be able to live that down either. Yeah, the biggest thing about it, uh, and I would say kind of tackling in general is, you know, I think you got to be confident and, you know, just shoot your shot and keep your feet moving. Uh, anytime you start to think about missing a tackle or and, and you stop your feet, that's usually when you end up missing a tackle. So, you know, our, our coaches always stress it. They call it the tiger hook. You know, when you, when you come in close off of an offensive lineman's hip and you run full speed and you just keep your feet going and, and run through the tackle. I know it's only one game, but you seem like a really nice fit for what Steve Wilkes wants to do with this defense. He wants to be able to take chances. They, he wants to force turnovers. He wants his linebackers to blitz and not play on their heels. Is that what sold you on coming to Mizzou or did Coach Drink sell you on more so just the idea of replacing Nick Bolton? Well, to be honest, Mizzou overall was just kind of a dream opportunity for me it was all of it coming together that really made it such a quick and easy decision um i was only in the portal i think for maybe like five days because i instantly fell in love with mizzou so hard because like you said uh drink and everything that he brought not just the aspect of nick bolden but i was really impressed with what he did as a first year head coach and an all sec schedule um you know coach smith 
his NFL pedigree and just being a younger guy that's done it before. I felt like he was a great coach to help me take my game to the next level. And, you know, what Coach Wilkes has done as a defensive coordinator, I mean, he's coached, you know, Luke Keekley, one of the greatest linebackers of all time. And the chance to play under him and, you know, learn things like practice habits and, you know, what to kind of expect if I want to be a great NFL linebacker. It was all just perfect. It was like dominoes falling over uh, in terms of the decision-making process to come to Mizzou. Did you have other schools that that, that um, reached out to you when you were in the transfer portal in those five days? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've got to credit schools in the transfer portal because I, I'm pretty impressed with how quick the whole thing went in terms of people reaching out. Uh, I was more desired than I thought I was going to be, to be honest, because <laughs> it was a loaded portal and I was a little nervous about entering it. But uh, I, was, I was a popular guy for uh, a couple of days there. I mean, are we talking like a dozen Power Five schools? Or are we talking like just kind of a Mizzou and a, and a bunch of Group of Five schools? Like, is a group of five, going to a Group of Five program, like where you were at at Rice, probably wouldn't have made any sense. But was it like big time Power Five interest that you were getting along with Mizzou? Yeah, I had a good amount of Power Five interest. Um, you know, SEC. Uh, I was talking to a school and. I think every um, major conference except for the Pac-12, uh, but I felt like something was a little in the works there. But really, once Mizzou, uh, you know, entered my eyesight, I, I couldn't look anywhere else. I was, I, it was love at first sight. You're not missing anything by not going to the Pac-12, so don't worry about that. Um, I, I want to get you out of here with five rapid-fire questions. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah, that sounds great. Perfect, perfect. First one, you're a big tattoo guy. Your favorite tattoo is what? My favorite tattoo is the one on my side. Uh, it's in Nordic runes and it says underdog. I got it my going into my junior year uh, when I was like 49th on this underdog and group of five players list. So I was like the underdog of all underdogs and I just got it as a permanent reminder to keep that mentality no matter what. That's gritty. That's very gritty right there. Uh, Will Levis, the quarterback that you'll face this weekend, he eats bananas with the peel on. Do you have any banana-related trash talk that's in the holster for Saturday? Uh, you know, I, I haven't had any yet, but since you brought it up, I'm going to have to do some research and get ready for it. <laughs> uh, your dad is named Zen. Your name, Blaze, obviously. How much pressure is there on you to come up with a unique name for your firstborn child? Oh, there's a lot of pressure, but uh, luckily I've had my whole life to plan on it, so I think I've got some good ones in the books. Uh, don't know if that's coming anytime soon, but I am ready to rise to the occasion when it comes. Uh, the, the new Applebee's commercial is, is driving everybody bananas who watched a full Saturday of college football. You obviously um, had had a couple of different priorities this past Saturday, so maybe you didn't see it. Did you see it? And if you did, did it also drive you bananas? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have not seen it. Uh, don't get a lot of time to, to watch TV these days, but... I'll make sure to check it out on YouTube and, and maybe I can get you some feedback on it later. <laughs> um, last one for you. Just just say something nice about Orlando so I'm not the only one who does it on this podcast. 
Uh, nice thing about Orlando, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that the high school football is really good. Blaze, that's all you got? Come on, man. Like, our restaurants are not as, they're not just a bunch of chains. We've got beautiful weather. It's not that far to the beach. Like, come on. Like, I need a little bit something more than that. Uh, I lived in Houston, so as far as the restaurant scene goes, I, I just can't in good conscience uh, compare Orlando to that. And in terms of weather, I've spent some time in Southern California as well. Crap. Uh, so, <laughs> so really the only thing I can say in good conscience is that I think it has the best high school football there is to offer. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Blaze, this has been awesome, man. Really appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything you got going on this year. Great. I uh, was happy to be here. Thank you. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Barrett Salee of CBS Sports. Barrett, of the four gentlemen who performed Bubba Sparks' Miss New Booty at Gabriel's at SEC Media Days, you are the third one that I've had on since that night. And I've led with that each time. Well, you know, I had T-Bob on, I had J-Boy on, but we didn't get to the bottom of the mystery of how you became internet friends with Bubba Sparks. So before we talk some early season storylines, please share that story to our listeners so I uh, Bubba's a very big Georgia fan and you know Twitter came about I think I joined in like 2009 uh, he started you know just randomly talking to me shortly thereafter about Georgia football so uh, we became internet friends and uh, keep in touch and back in 2015 or 16 um, a buddy of mine who works at 680 The Fan here in Atlanta, a lot, a lot of my friends work there, but my best friend growing up works there, and he said, hey, um, you know, could you think Bubba can do this kickoff uh, concert thing we're doing in downtown Smyrna? I'm like, I don't know, I'll ask him. And I asked him, and he said, yeah, let's go, let's do it, and showed up and played, uh, played about, you know, 10 songs, played a full set, and then actually left to drive down to a fraternity uh, at Alabama to uh, do another game. But no, we're friends. We became friends. We he invited us up to, to his little room, um, hung out with him for about you know five hours in real life, and, and keep in touch on the internet all the time. What a what a wild connection Twitter can bring. That is, <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. Um, okay, let's let's get to the important stuff. What is targeting? Are you targeting? Am I targeting? So I've, I've become uh, familiar now with the idea that there is a roulette wheel or like a pinwheel mm -hmm. yep. uh, in, in uh, the NCAA office in Indianapolis or the SEC office in the pack, wherever the replays are going to at any given time. And they just spend and it just pops up yes or no. And that's, that's how they decide. That, like, honestly, I, I pride myself on paying super close attention when, you know, first it was Steve Shaw, now it's John McDade. Dude does, like, the, the whole referee break plus media idiots. I pay really close attention to that. And I thought I had a firm grasp of targeting. At this point now, I, I, I have no idea what's happening. So I think they just guess. 
here's the crazy thing. We spend every offseason saying that something's probably going to be done, and then we get to the season, and then we just end up complaining about targeting weekly basis. And I still stand by the belief that the officials are kind of being put in a tough spot because of how the rule's written and the way that they're asked to enforce it. And then you kind of realize this opening weekend, oh, all they did was tweak the rule by saying players no longer have to go to the locker room once they're ejected for targeting. They can stay on the sideline. So basically the NCAA just tried to make it make it seem like they did something even though they really didn't. The suspension rules, they're all the same. How bad is this problem right now? Because that first half with Ole Miss and Louisville was borderline unwatchable because of that. And they have to do something about it. And I understand that the idea that you go to every go to replay every time to determine and you have to confirm that it was targeting regardless of what the rule in the field is. I like that. Like I like the idea behind that. But why can't we just have targeting one and targeting two like we have in basketball with flagrant one and flagrant two? Like if a dude goes headhunting, toss him out of the game. Right? Like if a dude goes out there and tries to injure somebody, toss him out of the game. But if you have just some sort of um accidental incidental targeting where the running back has the ball but then dips his head a little bit and you know your head's slide whatever like that's not on purpose just make it a 15-yard penalty don't kick the kid out of the game because of of what literally is an accident that just doesn't make sense to me seems so simple how (laughs) fake angry are you by brian kelly threatening to execute his team oh my gosh it's the internet's got to be mad at everything. As soon as he said that on Sunday night, I don't know if you did the same thing, Connor, but I, right when he said it, I was like, oh, God. Oh, no. No, no, no. And I, went, I didn't look at Twitter. I went to bed, and I woke up, and you know how Twitter on your phone says, in case you missed it. Like, every single one of my in case you missed it tweets was about how Brian Kelly's a horrible person. I'm like, the guy, he tried to make a joke. It was, a, it was delivered poorly. It really wasn't that funny to begin with. But he's not, like, why are we mad at him about this? Like, God, people are the worst. Like, people suck. All of them. <laughs> just, uh, everyone on the internet sucks. Like, God, calm down, guys. You were there in person uh, for Alabama-Miami on Saturday. You thought it would be a fist fight. It was instead a first-round knockout. Bryce Young looked really impressive, at least from home on my couch. How impressive was he up close in person? He's awesome. I love the fact that they they did a real good job of getting him on the move. Clearly, they like the fact that he can make plays and make decisions and deliver the ball on time uh, on the run. And it seemed like they played to that strength quite a bit. Uh, early especially and and I don't understand why when they when they started doing that why Miami didn't just start blitzing him because they were dropping eight the first three drives and I just I kept thinking to myself like okay that's not working guys he's too good for that like you have to do something different they didn't do it so he's just he's so impressive and the fact that he's keeping his eyes downfield knowing full well that he could probably run and make some big plays is Really, really big for Alabama because they, you know, their whole offense is still out there. They, they have, they have plenty left to show, and I got a feeling you're not going to see an awful lot of it until it matters most. Because uh, I think they'd be crazy going to, uh, to, to a, a position where they're running Bryce around all the time. But man, he, he was awesome. 
Yeah, you hit on it. That's that's the biggest difference I, I saw was was the ability to keep his eyes downfield. And when you, when you see it, it's it's amazing. And then when you see the guys who don't have it, everything looks so difficult. A guy who has really struggled with that over the course of his career, Bo Nix. He looked really good in the opener this year, albeit against Akron, who we said on this podcast is a pretty sorry excuse for an FBS team. You wrote this summer that you thought it would be a true battle between between Bo Nix and TJ Finley. Did seeing that week one showing change anything for you? Or are you still of the impression that he's kind of working on borrowed time yeah, and it um, might only be a matter of time for Finley? No, I think Bo's going to, I mean, the, I never thought Bo Nix would complete 20 of 22 passes against air. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that that was possible, but yeah, I, I, the comfort that he had, and they, they talked about it on the broadcast. It, it just, it felt like this was, an offense that's tailor made to him. And I think when, you know, he, him and Gus had a great relationship. That's why he signed with Auburn. But I think in, in hindsight, that was not a marriage from a scheme standpoint that made any sense whatsoever. They need Bo to go out there and be a thinking man's quarterback. They need Bo to go out there and let the game be his and go through progressions. Gus's offense did not let him do that. So the fact that he was, taking control, you saw some power, you saw him, you know, go through his progressions and not make one read and bail. Like all those things make it to me anyway, seem that Mike Bobo and Bo Nix are a good match and Brian Harson and Bo Nix are a good match. So I look, TJ Finley, I still like TJ Finley. I think he's going to be a much better player than, than we saw last year because last year was just a crappy situation. But I mean, Bo Nix looked legit and I know it's Akron, but again, I didn't think Bo Nix could look that good against the air, and he did. So, I mean, that's a, definitely a good sign. I didn't think the Ole Miss defense could look that good against air, and what they did I, on Monday night. Buddy, man, that was like <laughs> – are you rethinking your Ole Miss projection? Because I had, I had them an 8-4, and four, and I'm kind of looking at it now going, oh, if they're going to get after it like that, that's a different story. Yeah, I had them at 9-3, and three, and I'm kind of where you are. Like, did I undersell them at 9-3? and three? Because, I mean, personally, I didn't see an awful lot from Texas A&M. And if Ole Miss is going to be able to go out there and, you know, score 45 points on Texas A&M's defense, then Haynes King ain't going to keep up with that. And that defense, whoo, buddy, that was, that was filthy. So I was, I was surprised. I knew they were going to be better. I thought they'd be better. I know DJ Durkin's system is a little bit more complex and the COVID stuff last year probably limited to what they, you know, what he could install and everything. But I mean, good Lord, they looked awesome. And if they can just play halfway decent, they're going to be a really, really tough out in the SEC West. And look, I thought LSU was going to be good. I was disappointed in Texas A&M. So I mean, who knows? Maybe Ole Miss is the team that can threaten Alabama more than the others. Let's talk about LSU because I had the, the same reaction as you when I initially saw that pregame clip at O'Dron. He, he jaws with the UCLA fan and the, the sissy blue, as he phrased it. I, I thought, you know what, LSU is about to roll. This is going to be very reminiscent of 2018 opener against Miami, something like that. And instead, LSU was completely outmanned. Are the wheels falling off in Baton Rouge? It sounds like it. Um... It, it just to me it feels like they don't care the, that the the personality has changed to me it feels like, I don't know if you feel this way but it feels like to me 
they're kind of like Florida State in the last year of Jimbo, where you kind of have a bunch of dudes going a bunch of different directions. They're all talented. They all can win some games. But I just didn't feel like, from a personality standpoint, that Ed had arranged those guys in to a point where they can play at a, at a high level. Because they're all talented, but they didn't make adjustments defensively. I thought that was a Bo Pelini thing last year. Maybe it's not. And then offensively, I think they're fine. You know, having, not having John Emmerich kind of sucks, and, and that might have something to do with it. But, man, uh, super disappointed. The de- defense just should not be that bad. It really shouldn't. And at this point, this is not uh, an aberration. It, it's a trend. They've gone downhill, and that it makes you wonder if that is the right guy for that job. Is there a, a preseason take that you're already bailing on after what you saw in week one? And maybe maybe it is just as simple as LSU. Like, I, I'm backing off the take that Oklahoma's defense is ready to take that next step when you allow 35 to Tulane. Yeah, it kind of makes you question some things. So is, is there something that you have kind of saw in week one that you're like, oh, boy, I, I might have been wrong about this for the last eight months? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely LSU. Uh, I definitely with you on the Oklahoma defense thing. Uh, Miami being able to go into the ACC championship game with an outside shot at the playoff, definitely not happening. Because uh, I honestly thought Miami might lose to Alabama, look still good in the process, look good, and then maybe run the table and, and get to Charlotte with one loss. Yep. Maybe they do. I don't know. But uh, they, man, that was a brutal showing. I don't know what Manny Diaz was thinking defensively. I, like I said earlier, like at – Bryce Young's out there picking you apart and you're dropping eight, like do something else. And he didn't do it. And I I just, it baffled me. So uh, Miami being anything more than just an okay team is something I'm definitely backtracking on at this point. Arkansas is another team that I'm pretty relatively high on compared to the masses, I think, coming into this year, saying that they would win seven games in the regular season. And, you know, even a three and five SEC record would still be a step up in year two of the Sam Pippen era. I, I'm, I'm struggling, though, with them after after what we saw, yeah. especially in the passing game with K.J. Jefferson. Do you have a read on, on Texas-Arkansas? Because I think I'm going to I'll be sticking with my my preseason my preseason pick that Arkansas would win that game and pull off the upset. But I don't know that some of those some of those week one images of the passing game just were, were not very encouraging. Well, they weren't. And I know Arkansas fans were super frustrated because Sam Pittman had talked uh talked KJ up big time. So it was Kendall Riles and, and it's just, it wasn't there. I, I, I was, I was surprised that they would talk him up that way and put so much on his shoulders that, and then have him come out like that. Maybe it was the pressure. I don't know, but through the air that they've got a problem. And, and so for Texas, I was kind of, well, before the season, I was kind of up in the air on Arkansas or Texas, who are, who was I going to pick? And after what we saw, Arkansas and really with Texas, Texas looked good against Louisiana. Um, I think I think Texas is going to run, run away with that. I, I just Texas to me, if you watch them play, the defense was not bad. And if the defense is not bad, all the offense has to do is do is be is to take care of the football against a team like Arkansas. So uh, yeah, I, I was I was kind of with you like leaning towards Arkansas before the season, but that passing game that's. That's a little sketchy, especially when you're going into a play team like Texas. Uh, even at home, that's that's not a good matchup because Texas can put up some points. 
Yeah, definitely not a game that Arkansas can afford to fall behind. They got to be playing ahead or else I don't really think they have much of a chance that one can absolutely get ugly. Uh, Barrett, last question for you. This is really important. Can the excitement of college football's on-field product rescue a sport whose offseason was defined by multiple crises? Why do people who cover our sport hate our sport? Like, I, it takes... <laughs> It's not that hard to be happy. It's not that hard to enjoy things. I, I can't imagine. Can you imagine living life that miserable? I couldn't. I couldn't. Man. Like, I mean, that's just. I don't understand it. It's just. Uh, but that's walking for you. That's just what he does. Too many crazies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how to say that word properly. He knows how to say that word properly for sure. I love that you even did the. Christ, whatever. We we shouldn't have to learn. Just it should be singular. One crisis at a time. We'll just we'll we'll just let that. <laughs> and let that it's not that it. serious. It's really not that serious either. Like I don't understand why everything is the biggest deal in the world to that guy. But whatever. Hey, whatever. There might be tennis on instead of college football this weekend from the watch. So, um, <laughs> we'll see about that. Barrett, really appreciate the time, man. Uh, best of luck on everything uh, going forward, and maybe we'll get to catch up at a game this year. You too, Connor. Good talking to you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out today, we're talking about parking. Shout out to our producer, Dan Matthews, who had this idea. I think I'm a decent parker. Not like all conference, but decent, serviceable. Rotation guy, maybe, when it comes to parking. <laughs> I don't really have issues pulling into a spot or anything like that. I think I use my mirrors effectively. I'm not gonna hit anyone. I try to be respectful. I think that's my biggest pet peeve when it comes to parking. I hate it when I'm in a crowded parking lot and everybody's doing the thing where they're circling trying to find a spot, right? Oh yeah. And you get the person ahead of you who just decides, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just gonna plant right here and I'm gonna wait for those people who are slowly walking through their cars who may or may not be leaving. For all we know, they're just putting something away and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here and I'm just gonna hang out so I can take their spot. There should be a shot clock for these things. <laughs> there absolutely should be. 10 second maybe? I, I don't know. There's gotta be something, right? That right there is like a good example. I just thought about this. It's like, you know back in like our parent society how people would just talk to each other more? That seems like one of those things where it's like, hey, you can roll down your window and be like, hey man, are you going to that car right there? Are you about to leave? Yes, I will then wait for you. Hey everyone, I am going to that spot right there. But we don't do that as a society anymore. So we just awkwardly and angrily sit there. It's bizarre. If you really it take is. a step back, it's bizarre, bro. Like thinking like, I hope these people are going to that car. <laughs> we need to do the thing where we get um, the monitors. This is a, a, if anybody wants to take this idea, please don't, I'm working on the trademark for it. But the the video message, so like a, a you know, like a, a scrolling feed, words that you can type in that you would have on, on the top of your car. And they, this would never, you know, this would never be accepted. But if you could just have, be able to type messages that people could see at the top of your car. Yeah. Just so it's not obstructing anybody's view or anything like that, but I'm waiting on this spot. Something like that, go just around. to be able to send yeah. a message. Yeah, go around me, Wh whatever. It's something like that, that we could all have some sort of communication with this because I hate it. And if, if they're in their cars and they're about to leave, all right, I, I get that, that's fine. If these people clearly don't recognize that there are people, there's like a line of five cars who are waiting to get into their spot, that's kind of on them, not the person who's first in line. But 
I've been in spots where I could have done that and I could have been that person who made everybody else behind me wait. But I'm like, no, this is selfish. I didn't have the timing to get this spot. It wasn't meant to be. This is not my moment, this is not my spot. One time a few months ago, um, I was at my brother's wedding in Lexington and we were in a situation like that where it was like a bunch of you know, family members in the car and stuff, so there's a lot of moving pieces. And, um, and my mom has the exact opposite approach to that. My mom is that person that will sit there and she's gonna wait. And she was telling my uncle driving like, no, we're not going anywhere, we're waiting for the spot. And I'm like, mom, there's, there's a line outside into the, outside the parking lot into the street. <laughs> it's six, seven cars deep. And I sort of snapped on her and I, I felt bad because I'm like, that might have been a bit of an overreaction. <sighs> Definitely a pet peeve of mine. So it, it rubs me the wrong way. I, I, it just nails on a chalkboard for me because I try and be spatially aware at all things. Like we talked about with the grocery store stuff. Just be spatially aware. If you can do that, you're gonna be so much better to the people around you. But yeah, that, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Will, uh, what about you? Any major parking pet peeves? So I, uh I drive like a giant lifted Jeep. You know this about me. I Sick brag. honestly, if we're gonna have honesty hour, live in slight fear perpetually that people are gonna think that I'm a jerk because of my vehicle. So I have to be a really good parker. Like I have to put it to where people can walk by and be like, I think I couldn't have done any better. Mm. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> so it's very funny because I know, like if there are two cars, like if a car is over the line and like I have to adjust for it, I'm always gonna get blamed because my car is so big. And it's super funny in Atlanta because like there are so many small parking decks and I'm mm. like elite at parking because I've always driven big trucks. Now hilariously, if you get me in a car, not a good driver, but because oh, that's of, interesting. Yeah, but if you, I'm used to driving these brontosauruses everywhere, so like that's what I'm familiar with. So point being, yeah, it's a, uh, it's super funny, man. I don't think, have you ever got like in an accident in the parking garage? No, but I've been in spots where it's been really close, and I've when we used to, to rent cars and we would rent like an SUV when we were driving up to, to cover a game when I was in college. And they would, they, they'd have us like rent a car, like we'd drive up to, to Madison to cover an Indiana basketball game mm -hmm. or something like that. And I'd be in this really big, you know, third row seating type of truck and I'd have to go into a small spot in a garage. Yeah. And probably been in a lot of spots where I was really, really close. And maybe you have somebody like get out of the car and kind of help you out with that and make sure that everything's all right. But I've never been in that spot and I, I, I fear the day will come in which I, I will be but for now nothing but a clean record there have you so I've gotten hit a couple of times in parking garages, but see, this is the advantage of driving my car because it's the funniest like self-reported crime because my car is surrounded by like a metal um, like rail, right? So like, you can see where people have hit me and kept going and like my car is just fine and they just have this dent the side of their car. It's like, okay, <laughs> like, cool man, have, have a better day. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, it's, um. Yeah, having having a truck in Atlanta is a very fun time, especially at like Costco's, things like that, because it's like, oh, yeah. I just gotta make it work, man, I don't know. The other obvious pet peeves, I, we kind of just hit it on this a little bit, but someone who takes up two spaces in a crowded lot. Couldn't be me. That's my fear, dog. That's exactly what I'm talking about, because I don't want somebody yes. to walk out and be like, this jerk, look at this guy with his big gas guzzler ticket. Yeah, couldn't be me. You, you, you do, you're exactly right, and people are gonna assume that you're going to do that. The person who does it with a sports car, 
Dude, yeah. <laughs> take, take a hike. Get out of here with that. If you're trying to save a spot for somebody else, like I said, you know what? Maybe that spot just wasn't meant to be for that person. Right. Maybe God's timing, all right? You know what? Find find a different spot. It wasn't meant to be. Don't don't hog this with your, your sports car and try and straddle it in some weird sort of way. And chances are they're not doing that. They just don't care. Okay. Um, the other the other big pet peeve, and we'll probably get to something like this um, in figuring it out as well with the Facebook group. The person who insists on four attempts at parallel parking. Oof. You get two tries. You get two. That's it. If you're doing anything more than that, it, it's not your day. That's not your spot. Find something else, man. Like, God's timing. God's timing. Take the hit and keep it rolling. <laughs> gotta take the hit, gotta keep it rolling. Where do you stand on, on parallel parking? Um, Again, shockingly, I can parallel park. Uh, but again, it's yeah, about knowing, knowing your speed. You know what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to parallel park when there's a little bit of a gap on either side. I'm not going to squeeze my truck into one of those spots. Because then what happens is a crowd develops. <laughs> true, <laughs> Whenever I true. start, It's not like my truck's that ridiculous. I have like 33s. Like It's not like it's like a monster truck. But knowing people just rubbernecking, like especially where I live, when I start parallel parking, I can see everyone around me start to like crane their necks. Like, is he going to hit somebody? And so it's like, yeah, I don't even attempt That'd be me. it. Right? No, I know. Because <laughs> you'd be like, look at look at this guy. He doesn't. He can't handle this. And you'll see, like, oh, okay, I know you. <laughs> from, from an entertainment standpoint, it's worth ten seconds of my life to see if you can pull it off. I think it's pretty unnecessary for the vast majority of the population. And some will say, oh, what if you live in the city? Fair, but in this day and age, don't you either take public transportation or Uber places if you're trying to park downtown somewhere or something like that? Yeah. I personally, bad at parallel parking, don't really care that I'm bad. Haven't ever sought out any sort of practice. Didn't even have to learn it in driver's ed. Like, look, this, this is kind of an, a little bit of an outdated thing. Um, and I've been in maybe, I don't know, like eight to 10 situations in my life where I thought to myself, now would be a great time to have this skill but then I always just find another spot. That spot wasn't meant to be. God's timing, right? It's very similar to what you were just talking about. Everybody gets awkward when you're waiting for the spot. It's like when you start to line up that parallel park, you feel like you're like at the free throw line. It's oh, like, yeah. it's time. like, okay, if I if I do this, no harm, no foul. But if I, like you said, if I take like an extra attempt, everyone starts like tapping their wrists, like, come on, buddy. And it's like, that's like an underrated, like part of being an adult is like, man, there's so much pressure when you got to really nail a parallel park. So I was with my, when I was with my aunt up at my mom's lake house uh, last month and she, did, she stuck to the, the two attempts at a spot and then it, if you can't do it, you find another spot. And she, she couldn't get it in the two attempts and then she went and she found a different spot and it was perfectly fine mm -hmm. and no issue whatsoever, but understood her place, understood, look, all right, she, she can parallel park probably way better than I can. To some people, I, you know, like a lot of times, I don't even have the confidence to try and to try and back in a tight space. I don't drive, you know, we drive a sedan or something like that. It's like not even a particularly big car, but just like, why, why am I gonna waste my time? Why am I gonna waste other people's time right. if this isn't something that I really wanna do? There's always another spot. All right, I took it to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, asked biggest parking pet peeve, are you a rear view camera person when you park? That's changed the game yep. with parking. Parallel parking, yay or nay, we touched on that. Why is tailgating the only good form of parking? And obviously any parking horror stories that the listeners might have. So let's start with this one from Joshua Johansson. Joshua says, motorcycles taking up a whole parking spot. This is his pet peeve. They should be able to park in a bike rack or something. That and people who feel more important than everybody else and they take up two spots, nothing worse. Why don't motorcycles 
have specific spots. They don't need a whole spot. Or you could have similar to like what, you know, like where you have the, the handicap painting on the ground. I'm not saying the motorcycle should get like front of the line parking or anything like that, but where you have it designed for, this is a motorcycle spot and then you could put three or four in there. Mm -hmm. That is a more efficient way to do it. Somebody's got to come up with that. That's a thing somewhere. That's a thing. Somebody's got that. Yeah, that's yeah. a thing. Okay. All right. But good idea. I like where your head's at, Joshua. Uh, Michael Keller says, biggest pet peeve are those idiots in the little smart cars and Honda Fits had a rental on uh, one of those last weekend. This is Michael saying that. Uh, cheapest thing in the lot. That pull all the way forward and you think the spot is empty. Yep. That's a great point. Never owned a car with the rear view camera, so I'm a mirrors only guy. Even if I drive a newer car with them, purely out of habit. Back to that Honda Fit <laughs> parallel parking, and that thing was an absolute breeze. Had to do it a ton in college in a Forerunner and got quite used to it. I occasionally play the very delicate game of bumper cars, <laughs> like try, but I try to stay away from those uh, spaces. Look, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on the small cars. You got a small car that's perfectly fine. You got a Honda Fit, whatever whatever fits your lifestyle. Do what you gotta do. Um, but the pulling all the way forward thing, he he hit the nail on the head. Yep. That is the worst when you pull around and you're you've already done the turn yourself, mm -hmm. and and you're thinking you're home free. You've got that spot. You finally found it, only to realize that this little tiny car is only taking up half the spot, and that is such a deflating feeling. And it's always in parking garages. Always. Always. Every single time. Nowhere else but a parking garage. And oh gosh, I hope nobody's experiencing that right now as you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> this one got a lot of interaction from Kobe Black. Kobe says, uh, biggest pet peeve, people that always have to back in the parking spot like a getaway car. <laughs> a lot like of takes on this. Guard, yeah. Our guy Dan is not a fan of this, I know. And I, I'm not particularly a fan of this either because Maybe, maybe I just don't have the car. I don't have the SUV, so I don't understand kind of that, that philosophy. Um, but they kind of, there's a lot of comments kind of going back and forth on this. And um, let's see, this is from Scott Haley who responded. He said, I do this. Statistically, it is safer. Plus it's just easier in a truck. And of course, you never know if you'll have to make a quick getaway. You do know because <laughs> if, you can, uh, if you can recite a time in your life in which you have had to make a quick getaway from a parking lot, all right, I stand corrected. You haven't though. And statistically it's safer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to see those numbers. I'm gonna need to see those numbers because a lot of time people do it really quickly and they'll be of the impression that everybody behind them knows that they're doing that. And if you talk about ways in which you can have six, seven cars get backed up behind you, the person who's doing that and they just roll right into it because it's never like a stop and pause. It's like, oh, everybody knows that I'm doing this and then I'm backing into this spot. Sometimes they'll go past the spot as well and you think, oh, I'm about to take this spot. I'm right behind this car only to realize that that person is just backing in with their truck. <laughs> and then the whole line has to back up. <laughs> and then the Chaos. whole line has got to back up and it's this whole thing and it just causes way more problems. Look, I get it. If you feel safer, you feel like you're not going to hit someone, whatever, that's fine. But just think about the people behind you and understand that there's there's a there's a dynamic in a parking lot. We're all not expecting you to do this at a moment's notice. I'll say this though, a uh, big uh, BDE move in a truck because the couple of people that responded about it, it's easier in a truck. 
technically correct, but gave me like flashbacks to my first vehicle, which was a truck. And I, bro, I hit everything in that thing. I was such a bad driver. I don't know. I was like typical, like, you know, high school, like Hoover High School, got to get a truck. And that's why I'm such a good driver now is because my first car was not a good driver. And, and like whipping the back end of a truck around like that is just chaos, like coming out. So I understand why people are like, yeah, I'd rather just do that on the front end, like figure it out. Because yeah, I mean, that's that's like backing in with a truck or backing out with a truck is tough. It's your weight's just weird. Your whole tailgates. Yeah, I, it's I, I those people get a pass. All right. Understood. Understood. Adam Stockton says, when people in the neighborhood block the sidewalk with their vehicles, when they could just pull two feet forward and actually be all the way in their driveway. This is a great point. It's a pet peeve because kids shouldn't have to go out in the street to get around your car and people running or walking with strollers should have to go up and down the curb or through the grass, especially when on a street of 30 houses or five and five or six of them are blocking the sidewalk. You're constantly having to pick up the stroller and uh, up and down off the curb and through people's grass, which they then yell at you for. Thank you, Adam, for bringing this up because I totally forgot about this and I experienced this almost every single day. Yep. Every single time you go on a run through a neighborhood and there are always those cars, always. And some of them, I get it. If you've got four in the driveway, one, why do you have so many cars? Two, make some space in your garage. But there are certain, there are certain driveways that are just always doing that. Yep. When there's two cars there that is super unnecessary i hate having to do the thing where i go into the street and i gotta work around your entire car or i'm like anxious about stepping on your grass because i don't like stepping on the grass mm -hmm. i like being able to look at everybody's nice fresh clean mow and not have to worry about <laughs> if i'm stepping on it you know what i mean yeah and I, I think about that all the time and it is a minor inconvenience but it's like all right if all you could do is pull up two feet just do it just do it Hate it. Great point. I, I'm so quizzical. It was like, if we didn't know each other, how we'd be as neighbors. But to see, <laughs> my car doesn't fit in my garage. All right, so, I get it. Well, get no, it. because I know you. Again, I know you. I know you'd be like, look at this guy with his truck. But what I did was, see, I'm the most, like I said, the most um, aware big truck guy. So I had it built into my yard that I have like a pull away path. So literally like 75% of my truck fits in my yard. And then that way it's like, okay, boom, like same situation. It's like, I don't want to be the guy who's in people's way because my truck doesn't fit, whatever. I will say this though, we should institute like some type of dystopian law where like, let's say traffic is going like to the right. If you're the guy who parks his car to the left, that's creating that little impasse, I should walk over there and be able to put two hands on it, say some phrase and that car is now mine. Like, Great part, great <laughs> like, point. People who double park, like you have the to- double parking in a neighborhood, oh my goodness. You gotta have a conversation with your neighbors. It'd be like, one of us needs to figure this out because someone's gonna get their car hit. I literally got a text from my neighbor the other day because I pulled my car up out of that little spot while we were like putting our sod down. And she was like, hey, you need to pull your car back because someone's gonna hit it. And it's like, you gotta have these conversations because you, there there are streets in my neighborhood where there are specifically going to be two cars right next to each other that regular cars can't fit through. And it's like, why do you get this right? <laughs> the thing that I didn't know until I got to Florida, and one of, this is kind of like an extension of that, is that because nobody has basements in Florida, everybody kind of uses their their garage as like a de facto basement. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that you have all of these cars in driveways. And we've, I didn't really realize that even until we, we bought our house last year. And so all of these cars are always in the driveways. And we were like the only car, we were like the only house in the neighborhood that, that put our house in the garage because 
born and raised in the Midwest. That's just like what you do. You don't leave your car outside of the elements. You, if you have a garage, you take advantage of it. And so I've noticed that down here, and if, if, I'm, if I'm running through a neighborhood or something like that, and I run through the same neighborhood all the time, is I see so many cars out constantly. And if it is blocking the sidewalk, I'm just like, oh, this is, this is a minor inconvenience for me. I get it, but be better people. If you have the option, just be mindful of it. Just be mindful. Of, if you can't control it, I get it, but still. Think of me. <laughs> right. Specifically Connor. Sometimes I do be thinking about like, man, Connor would roast me so hard for doing this. No, no, well, I would never. Michael Dark says, nothing makes me see red more than being behind someone that decides to wait for a front parking spot. Lord knows that the person waiting for the spot needs to get extra steps in. <laughs> it's not wrong. Kind of hit on that one. Kind of hit on that one. I, I'm, so here's the thing that Lauren hates about me if we go to Target or something like that, or, or when I go to the grocery store, I park as far away as I can. Uh, like Not like the last spot in the lot, but the last spot. Like I, I'm not one of those people who needs to try and park in between. If there's like a big clump of cars, I'm just gonna park on the outside of it every single time. Mm -hmm. Because I always say, well, hey, I'm fortunate enough to be 31 years old, no ailments or anything like that. I can make this walk. If somebody else who can't make that walk wants that spot, then that's theirs, that's fine. God's timing's gonna line up for them. They're gonna be just fine. But for me, I park basically as far away as I can, and Lauren is always like, I can't believe you parked this far away when there's that spot. Well, we'll be walking past the spots as we're walking up to like Target or something like that, and she'll be like, you could've parked there, you could've parked there, you could've parked there, and I'm like, yeah, oh well, we got some extra steps in today. Mm -hmm. We'll add years onto our life maybe someday, probably not. All right. This one from Dana Jackson. Dana says, when people park on the mother freaking line, I use the rear camera just to see how much further I can back in. And if I can back in without holding up people, that's what I'm gonna do because it's the easiest and safest way to get out. Dana at least acknowledged the key caveat there, without holding people, without holding people up. If you can do that, all right, that's totally fine. I get it. But we just don't always know when trucks are, are about to do it. And when there's there's cars behind you, then that's something to that, that's something that I think gets gets overlooked. But Dana, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think your pet peeve is totally is totally spot on. That that's like probably the oldest parking pet peeve in the book is is being annoyed by the person who parks on the line just because more times than not, just straighten that thing out. There's, there's a way that you can usually straighten out unless you're driving a massive truck and you got limited real estate on both sides. I get it. Drew Page, we'll end with this one. Biggest parking pet peeve is when I go to park in a spot and someone left their shopping cart in the spots. Oh man. Pe people that can't walk the three feet to take their cart back deserve to stub their toe every day for the rest of their life. It's the little things like that. But see, that's where you get to walk out and like act like you're like, you just got fouled in the soccer match. Like you, you like, cause there's a, the line behind you. Like, you're like, what? Well, he just looked like shocked. Cause it's like, I gotta like back back up. Like, hold on everyone. Oh, if, you're, is, yes. if you see the shopping cart, like you gotta like get out of your car, move it. And you just gotta act like disgusted. So everyone knows it's not your fault. Okay. So there are certain, there are certain grocery stores that you go to and the publics that I used to go to, they had one cart return spot. Mm -hmm. And there's a, it's a massive parking lot, big, and it goes on both sides. So you could theoretically have like a parking spot on the other side of the lot and have to get over a curb with your cart to get to this. Mm -hmm. 
And so you'd see people all the time who would leave their carts out. I was never one of those per one, one of those people. Again, blessed to be 31 years old, no major ailments or anything like that, knock on wood. But I would kind of understand it in that situation if you were only able to park that far away, there's no cart return on the other side, you're physically like, all right, you don't wanna be making the way across the parking lot, something like that. That's about the only situation I can justify. But when it's in that spot and you're like, look, we could have made this work. Yeah. This was not a long walk for you. This, this was 30 seconds out of your life to not make this a thing. And instead you chose not to do that. Just disrespectful. Just disrespectful. Yeah, that is one of the just, you know, I was uh, I was obnoxious when I was in high school, probably still obnoxious, uh, but no matter what stage of my life I was in, I always returned shopping carts because I really do feel like that is a thing that- Justin unless, Herbert, like, same way. Yeah, unless you're like house is on fire, you know, like if you gotta make a quick getaway, you know what I'm saying? If you got a call that's like really important, you gotta get home or something, I, it's never happened to me, but maybe it could happen to someone. But yeah, that's one of those like, that's the sign of a healthy society. Like you just gotta put your stuff back, man. Do people run into your truck with their shopping carts? Uh, not that I know of. No. That's good. I would I would worry about that. Parking parking in you know in Publix or something like that, and having that fear of somebody's going to ding my car, my my truck or something like that if they have to get through with one of those where they have to like kind of go in between the rows and go across to be able to try and to try and return their cart, I would constantly be in fear of that. Maybe that's one of the reasons I park really far away. I will yeah. say this for context. Uh, one time I watched a male person fully back into my truck, crush the back end of their car and drive off. And it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. I, I was like, cause my truck was fine. It was just surrounded in broken glass. And I was like, what? Wait, so they, they didn't even let out any sort of like, Oh man, I can't believe I just did that. No, they, they got out of there. Away. And like, I was furious when I saw it happen. Like I started running over there and then I went, oh, my truck is fine. Cause they, they hit my spare tire on the back of my Jeep. Oh, so they literally compressed the back of their car. They just drove off and I was like, all right, uh, your day's sucks. going worse than mine. You're a bad person, yeah. but I'm not mad at you. <laughs> like, yeah, your day's gonna be way worse than mine. <laughs> exactly, it's like, okay, man. <laughs> All right, hope, hope, hope the best for you. Uh, if you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. Go subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You should be. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to both of our new podcasts from Saturday Down South, College Football Uncensored, and Saturday Lives Forever. First episode with Peyton Manning is up. Awesome, awesome stuff. Go do that wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.